Welcome to the Index Podcast, hosted by Alex Kahaya. Plug in as we explore new frontiers with Web3 and the decentralized future. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Index, brought to you by The Graph, where we talk with the entrepreneurs building the next wave of the internet. I'm your host, Alex Kahaya. In today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Samuel Harcourt, Director of Business Development at the Phantom Foundation. Phantom is a decentralized, permissionless, open-source smart contract platform for decentralized applications. It is one of the leading blockchain networks created to offer an alternative to Ethereum, and I'm super interested to learn more about Phantom. Thanks so much for being here, Sam. Let me know your background and like how you got into crypto. And then I would love to learn more about your role at Phantom. So I guess my experience is relatively boring to everything that's happening at Phantom. But, you know, just to keep it brief, coming from the Australian military, I went to work with one of Australia's first digital asset desks called DCH. That was right in the middle of the bear market in 2018. So it was quite a ruthless time to join, but I really loved it. And then I worked down the road, uh, essentially opening up my own digital asset desk where I helped vet, you know, crypto startups at that time, uh, raise some capital for Bitcoin mining companies. And then from there, I joined Phantom. So you were in the Australian military first, though. That's interesting. What were you doing there? I was a rifleman. It was an interesting time. I'm glad to be doing a different thing now. But yeah, it's a good experience and, and quite valuable. Let's say. So you were at this trading desk. What did you call it? Uh, digital asset decks. Just helping vet a lot of the crypto clients that were coming in. You know, they were raising capital for pretty crazy things back then. And I was just saying, like, this is legit or this doesn't seem legit. It was quite an interesting time. It's interesting that you were doing that during that bear market. So I got in this space in 2016 and I kind of was like, I would say like the first half of the upswing and I went all the way up, you know, with the, with the bull market and then all the way down <laughs> the other side. And I don't know, I was at every single conference in the space back then. I was traveling like two, three days a week and the conferences were nuts. They're just packed with just so much ridiculousness. And the CEO of the company I was working with, uh, this guy named Seven, who was one of the co-founders at Orchid, he asked me to audit like the top 50 projects by market cap on coin market cap. I had not really been in the space before. So I went through like every single one of them and I went really deep, like went through all their websites, went through all their founders backgrounds, read all the white papers and everything. And I came away from being like, holy shit, like two of these are good. You know, <laughs> like the rest of them are super sketchy, you know, like so many of them were sketchy, but it did teach me a lot. And I can relate. It was kind of a similar exercise to what you were doing, but in 2018, I'm, I'm wondering like what the deal flow looked like in 2018. There were some crazy things getting built. Crazy for me back then was like, this is some random ICO that I have no idea how it has a billion dollar market cap. <laughs> but like, what were you seeing in 2018? Like anything interesting pop up that you looked at? You know, nothing that I would kind of mention today because it all was a lot of just, I would say, crazy ideas just trying to get involved with the space. So when I did join, I, you know, I missed that fun part that you were talking about. And I always yeah. just hear stories uh, about that massive run up. You know, I kind of joined on the, on the other side of that. So it was all just kind of like depressing people just going home early because they're just sick of uh, seeing double digit reds every day. <laughs> yeah, dude, I remember. <laughs> so a lot of ideas in that time were quite crazy. And I think being a fresh fresh eyes into the space then i was able to say no this is quite a, a crazy idea i don't think you guys should go down this path you know there were some interesting ones but none of them kind of lasted up until today you know i guess more into what i do at phantom it's a bd role it's covered in three different verticals the first one would be inbound so dealing with applications who want to come to phantom they want to learn about deploying on the network 
they want access, maybe some marketing together. They want access to a watchdog program. They want just, I guess, some sort of foundation guidance sometimes when deploying. Not everyone does, but we are here for that, like, I guess, supportive growth of the network. And then on the second one would be outbound. So dealing with some pitches, governments, companies across the world, finding synergies where we can. I think the space is still early and there's a lot to build and to understand before we can find massive synergies. But nevertheless, we do have great conversations with, with different verticals, I guess you'd say. And then the last one would be internal operations. So a good example of this would be running a hackathon that we've just launched with AWS and Covalent. That's still got about 10 days to go. So if anyone's keen, they want to join that, check out our DevPost uh, website. You can still get involved. Over 200K in prizes. There's kind of lots, lots, to, lots of prizes to get around there. That's essentially what I'm up to, as well as some other little things that we'll talk about today, which I really like to highlight, is our own program, our vault, and a few other things that we're working on at the foundation. How did you get from where you were working when you entered crypto to Phantom? Like, How did you meet the team? What was that like? What inspired you to want to join? There's a street called Pitt Street. The offices were on the same same street. So, and we actually had a mutual connection back in the day called Stephen Bellotti to Michael Kong today. So just friends of friends and they kind of needed to be a good guy back there. I was willing to jump on board. I don't know a ton about Phantom and the, its founders. Can you just walk me through the genesis story of the company just from your knowledge and just give us a little history lesson on why Phantom exists and who's behind it? Phantom's history really started just after I joined. I know that sounds a bit egotistical, but from when the mainnet launched in 2019, Andre, Michael, Kwan, those are the true guys who have, have formed what we're using today and built the technology that we have today. And then from there, it's been almost four years of operation, 99.9% uptime. And yeah, there's no actually big scoop about the foundation I can provide. Everyone is very straightforward. Everyone's very direct, which I really love. So everyone's just really focused on on building out the network technology. And I guess the the mission of the foundation, you know, I can give you something that's that's quite cliche, like, oh, we want to onboard a billion people or we want to dominate the world with blockchain technology. I can give you something a little bit more specific. One side would be it's very tech focused. So the work that the R&D side is doing with Phantom Virtual Machine, it's just brilliant. If you want to watch one of Michael Kong or Andre's speeches about that, they can tell you way more insights and, and give you much better, I guess, analysis of what's been built. But a big takeaway there is about 200 to 300 million transactions will be able to be executed on chain per day. That's what the data has been telling us. That's what it's forecasted. And that's pretty incredible to me because if you add up every L1, L2, sidechain, subnet, and put all those transactions together, it won't mean that threshold. So it's quite an amazing milestone to hit. And that's super. I'm super excited to see that roll out later this year. And then on the other side of everything, it's it's what I come to play in with a bit more. It's on the demand side. So there's so much supply side to that block space. You know, we need to fill that with demand. That's my mission. And, you know, really focusing on gas paid to the network, transactions daily. You know, back in 2021 in like DeFi summer, I think TVL was such a big metric. Everyone just, you know, only cared about TVL, right? And we hit a peak TVL of about 14 billion. It doesn't increase, you know, the speed of the network. It doesn't increase security. It doesn't increase validated rewards. You know, it's great for DeFi, but that's just one component of what can be built on the blockchain. So that's, I guess, the other side we'll focus on is those transactions and gas paid to the network. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about this. It's like, how do you bootstrap a network and create this demand? It's a marketplace, right? You have validators who are running the chain and providing the security and they get paid for that service. Who's paying for it, right? It's a very interesting 
decentralized business model to try to get off the ground. And it's still early days for, for pretty much everybody still, like even Ethereum, which has tons of transaction volume or Solana, right? It's still really, really early. Just on transactions, it is, you know, transactions with gas paid, but it's not, you know, validators talking to each other. It's, it's a user coming to the network, paying to do some sort of transaction and then not going through and, and going to validators. How do you think about driving that demand? And when you have a partner that you're trying to attract to build on the chain, what are you telling them to try to convince them to use your stack versus somebody else's? There's a lot of things we can talk about that, I guess, set us apart from from other L1s out there. And there's a lot of L1s out there, L2s. It's becoming quite a competitive space, which is good. You know, we can talk about phantom speed. You can get a sub-second time to finality. And when I say finality, I mean true finality, so we don't have any reorgs on chain or longest chain rule, which is cool. We've had a great uptime. We have, I guess, all these scalability side um, that's going to come with phantom virtual machine with the 200 or 300 million transactions per day. But... Some unique factors that I think do draw in people to, to Phantom that we've released recently, which was the Vault. So the Vault is a, a quite a unique idea. It's essentially a, a never-ending grant program. It's not funded by the foundation. It's it's funded by 10% of all the gas paid to the network. And that goes to a contract address, and anybody can apply for those funds. They just have to make a governance proposal. Now, we've had a little bit of trouble with voter apathy, I guess, and people making proposals and having to pitch it to all the validators is quite a hard thing to do. So... We are looking to work with Gitcoin at the moment and just do a quarterly distribution round of the funds. And it's quite a significant amount. I mean, it's only been up for a few months and it's already over 500,000 Phantom, which is, uh, you know, uh, 100,000 and something dollars. It's quite cool to see that idea that's, you know, even if the foundation were to go away today, but there's a grant program that's going to keep supporting development of the community through Gitcoin, which is, which is a really cool idea. And then the other side of bringing demand would be our earn program. So... Before I get into the own program, you know, we can look back to the early days of the internet and Bill Gates, although he's a bit of a controversial character now, he he wrote a pretty good essay called Content is King. And in the essay, he wrote, you know, for the internet to thrive, content creators need to get paid for their work. And that's the exact situation that I see today in blockchain is that for the blockchain to survive, dApps need to get paid for their work. And a lot of them just don't have sustainable business models. It's either you raise from from VCs and then hope you can build something. It's crazy fees that you have to charge your users. You know, it's just really hard for them to, to find a balance there. And then we looked at what applications were doing and, you know, applications are bringing the demand to the block space. For us, it's about splitting that demand that they bring with them. So we've done something called the own program, also known as gas monetization, where Dapps can get 15% back of all the gas that's been spent on their contracts. And you're probably like, Sam, you've just been talking about, you know, Phantom Virtual Machine and transactions on Phantom are quite low cost. You know, it's about a cent per transaction. So um, what's 15% of that? It's a fair point. But we had some really positive results so far in our beta program with Stargate. So Stargate in their first two weeks earned about 6,000 Phantom. Annualized, that's 150,000 Phantom. And that's from one contract. So we've been able to give them a whole... You know, they still haven't claimed, but it just shows you the power of Earn because they didn't have that revenue before. And now they do by us just creating this Earn program. And we're hoping that that, along with the, I think, about 16, 17 other participants in at the moment, will kind of incentivize them to really think about how the network should grow and align both the validators and the dApps together to focus on the one thing that really matters, which is transactions on chain. So. I really think that that's a fantastic idea. And I've heard people talk about something similar, but I haven't actually heard of someone actually, like, I didn't know that you guys were doing that, actually testing it out. I mean, look, there are not like very many applications in our space, like Web3, that have product market fit yet. 
creating decentralized business models around that is hard. It's unknown. It's totally new. I think charging for the execution of the smart contracts is pretty smart, especially when it's aligned with the fee structure on chain. The balance you have to strike is fast and cheap, like scalable infrastructure. If application developers are having to charge on top of the fees that the chain charges, then now you're kind of degrading that value prop, which for, I think for us to see mainstream scalable applications, you got to keep that alignment. Otherwise you just, you kind of break some of the value propositions. The product market fit issue is something I think we're all striving towards solving. And I think part of it comes from just making sure that the network has all the tooling it needs to enable these developers to build applications quickly, not just the smart contracts, but like everything above that, that then creates the user experiences that consumers are in enterprises are like expecting a need. I've spent a lot of time trying to solve that problem the last like, I don't know, two years. I think we've come up with some interesting solutions there, but yeah, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, there's a lot of ideas that are being placed now, and I think we're going to see in like three to four years which ones really pay off. So I believe in the Earn program. I think it's a great idea because like you mentioned, users are getting hit with multiple layers of fees. They're getting fees when they're doing a transaction. They're getting you know, um, some sort of fee when interacting with the application generally. So it is just better to have it one fee at the transaction layer, in my opinion. If you divert that too much and, and applications get to the point where you know there's barely any gas being spent, then the validators are all going to have nothing to run on, maybe some sort of inflationary token idea. But you need something to, to sustain validators and the hardware costs. I mean... For Phantom, another cool component of the FEM I can highlight a little bit um, would be that essentially they've, they've managed to reduce the storage requirements by about 95%. And I run a validator mm-hmm. and storage is about 50% of my costs. So being able to drink, bring that down like by, by 50% is a massive important part of, of making blockchain accessible and making sure it's a sustainable network. And then the other side is obviously you know the cost and then the incentive to run a validator. And that's what gas is all about, right? It's, it's incentivizing the security of the network. What kind of hardware do you need to run a, a validator on, on Phantom? I use AWS. I use a 2x large. I'm not exactly sure right now. I'll have to double check. We'll look it up and we'll put some notes in the show notes if anybody's curious like for how to run a validator on Phantom. I mentioned before the show, I'm kind of becoming like a hardware nerd. Just very interested in the, the different infrastructure requirements for different chains and how you think about decentralization and like how many how many nodes you have on the network, how are they getting hardware, where, you know, how expensive is it, and you know these to high throughput chains. It's, that's a big challenge. Like the more scalable you become, typically the more hardware you you require to to run a, a node, which means it, the operations get more expensive. And for p- people listening, like if it sounds like we're talking about a validator as a small business, that's exactly right. They are small businesses. They, they're they usually like one or two people running a, a bunch of nodes in different networks that they need to make money on. It's just like any other investment. They put money into it. They want to get some kind of profit back out. In a volatile market, in a new emerging market, that can be tough. And so there's like all these token economic incentives and different ideas that people are experimenting with to, to make that work. Yeah, I mean, we have about 60-something validators at the moment, and we've just reduced the self-staking requirement from 500,000 to 50,000 Phantom, so obviously making that a lot more accessible to everyone. I mean, it's interesting to see different networks on how they're exploring that. Phantom is becoming, I'd say, more decentralized every day. Every time I'm trying to get some sort of governance proposal passed, um, I'm running around to validators all across the world trying to say, hey, please vote for this, or encouraging them to vote. 
just to push things past. So that's a cool aspect I'm seeing in real time of how decentralized we're getting. It's quite cool to see that in, in uh, first person. You see on Twitter, like all this like heated debate about how decentralized one thing is, one chain is versus another and like the merits and how they calculate it. And the way I look at it is like, dude, we're all trying to figure it out. Everybody's trying to figure it out and striving for that path. So I always like to just hear what people's ideas are, even if they're not like I work in the Solana ecosystem and I think there's a lot people can learn from how we built the network and how decentralized it is today. And I think we can learn from other people too. I think there's always this fear that people are just going to nitpick, right? Like they're, they're, they're going to armchair quarterback about how decentralized you are or whatever and the things you're choosing to do. But typically those people are the loud voices out there are not the ones that are actually uh, boots on the ground, like in the trenches trying to trying to solve these problems. I find that a lot. They really kind of have not... <laughs> not actually try to solve the problem in a meaningful way. And it's more than just like technology, right? There's like business development involved. There's hustle, there's people like it. I mean, really the social consensus is the thing that like drives a lot of these networks. It's the human beings that are actually running the validators and humans are tough. <laughs> They're tough to work with. So a lot of people like myself, they sell at the validator and then, you know, they haven't seen it for a while. You just get updates saying everything's running fine. And then you're not looking at governance proposals. You're not looking at things to interact with the network. A lot of the time I can, I can put myself in a lot of people's shoes. You know, they have day jobs, you know, they run a validator on the side and not really focused on mm-hmm. network related issues that come up to vote. So like you said, everyone's a person running a validator. That's a good point. And I'd also say, you know, it's not just the amount of validators on a network that that doesn't just mean decentralization um, proof of stake. You know, it's, it's depending on how much is staked at where, right? I mean, how, mm-hmm. how distributed is that stake? So there's lots of angles to tackle there. Yeah, I mean, it's stake. It's also depending on the hardware requirements, right? If you're able to r- validate a chain on a laptop, then you know, that can get really decentralized really fast because it's super expensive. I mean, inexpensive and a lot of people have laptops. A buddy of mine, Alan Morris, who runs Koi Network. I don't know if you've heard of Koi, but really cool, like decentralized compute network. I, actually, really interesting token. You should take a look at like the token economics there. Really interesting how they're doing it. You can just run a Koi node on your, on your laptop. So that's super easy. But if you have high spec hardware for like a high throughput chain, like an L1, you need to think about, okay, data centers and bandwidth. And because most of these people are not running these nodes in their house because the requirements are too high. And then you got to think about like, how many data centers are there? Are they are all these nodes sitting in one data center somewhere? If there's an outage in that data center, then the, then the chain goes down, right? Like, I think a data center in like Europe a year or two ago that like just burned to the ground, right? So if you had all your nodes there, you're pretty screwed. And so it's like data center location. And then you have ASNs and ASNs is are for people who don't know, it's like the actual pipe that connects you to the internet. So you can have like three data centers in Houston that are all on the same ASN. And if somebody can fat finger like a configuration file and like shut down the, the entire connection to that pipe, you know, and so then all the nodes in that place go down. So it's complex, like all those factors play into how stable and secure the network is, how censorship resistant it is. And then you have the economics on top of that. I don't know. I find it fascinating. I find it really fascinating. That doesn't even include the political sphere. You know, yeah. the country is becoming anti or pro crypto. So there's layers upon layers there. That's why it's so important to get it right um, and to be decentralized enough that one or two of these, I guess, attack vectors don't take you out or wipe you out or, or take the network offline. I feel like we went down this like rabbit hole on decentralization, but I want to come back to the use cases that you're interested in seeing. You know, because you want to drive demand and it's like right now, I feel like it's still kind of the Wild West, like anybody's game. What's going to get product market fit? What use cases are you interested in 
building on top of Phantom and any L1, really, frankly, that you think could could actually achieve the goals that you want, be like a high use usage, you know, application that gets product market fit. What's your prediction there? Well, it's hard to make a singular prediction. I mean, I think all verticals will will serve some sort of you know mass transaction import and demand on this on the blockchain space. But you know, I don't think we can pick what's going to be the winner, what's going to be the exact model that's going to work, especially from the high level position we're at right now. You know, it's similar to what YouTube was in 10 years ago. They didn't try to say, okay, uh, this type of content channel on YouTube is going to be the one that we're going to try to push the most. You know, they kind of put the incentives in the right place, which was splitting the ad revenue with creators. And then it all flourished. It all came above. So it wasn't them picking the winner. It was them creating an environment for creators to, to move everything in a positive direction. You could imagine if they didn't do something like that, you know, all the creators would have day jobs that they're trying to support themselves with. And they just won't be able to focus on content and they won't be able to focus on what they have today. I'd, I'd say if they didn't do that, there'll be less than 1% of what's on YouTube today. But because there's that business model that content's just built. And so that's what, you know, coming back to that end program a little bit is that's what that's all about. It's giving more tools to developers on Phantom to make sure that they can get paid. You know, really interesting stat. Some of the guys at the foundation don't like me using this. It's quite incredible if you look at it, especially just from, from, from with fresh eyes and you, and you look at uh, token terminal trending contracts and you see applications, the highest gas guzzling contracts on Ethereum, right? And you'll see Uniswap takes out like number one, number two, I think number three or four. And in total, mm-hmm. it's it's over $300 million has been spent on gas accessing, you, util, um, you know, it's using Uniswap. If you just take a, a step back for that and you say, okay, an application has managed to convince its users to spend over $300 million to interact and, and use its platform. And and how much did they get for that? And you probably go, well, I guess maybe like at least some percent were there. And it's 0%. I mean, they get nothing. It all goes to Ethereum validators and, and burnt Ethereum. Doesn't Uniswap get something from like the liquidity pools or something? Like how does the protocol accrue value? It's fees. It's a fee model. They don't get any gas reimbursements. Maybe they do behind the scenes. Oh, they're charging like a uh, 1% or 2% fee for the transaction? Oh, uh, yeah. It'd be some sort of fee model. But specifically, these contracts that users have paid to interact with the application, it's paying gas to Ethereum validators. Oh, yeah, Ethereum nodes. I think aligning the incentives is a fantastic model. And, I, and I'm really curious to see. What I really like about the analogy is just comparing software to content creation because that is what it is i mean it's free speech it's it's expression of ideas in code aligning those incentives if it were if you do it right it then encourages like things like open source software and it encourages composability if i'm a developer i want as many people using my contracts as possible so i'm gonna make them as composable as i can so that other people can connect to them and run transactions through them Everyone is very focused on the UI UX standpoint. You know, let's bring on the mainstream adoption of crypto, but the, the mainstream adoptions here. I mean, we've seen BlackRock file for an ETF. We've seen Snoop Dogg, Eminem utilize NFTs. We see mainstream companies every day now getting involved or dipping their toes in blockchain in one way or another. So I think we're in the mainstream adoption phase. And I think improving UI and UX is great, but if people aren't getting paid and the incentives aren't right for creators on blockchain, then everyone has to devote their attention somewhere else and cool things can't get built. And if cool things can't get built and content's not produced, then it won't bring on you know waves of the globe to, to interact with your chain or your applications. And Phantom's already EVM compatible, right? So 
you know, I'm an application developer and I've got EVM support on Polygon and Ethereum. Like how hard is it for me to add phantom support for my contracts? Oh, you just replace the API generally. It's quite quite straightforward. Very cool. So we're getting to the top of the show here and I always kind of end on the same question. And what have I not asked you that I should have asked? Like what's something you wanted to talk about or did I leave a question out that I should have asked? Like sometimes you'll be surprised at the, the answers I get to this question. You know, sometimes it's really spicy and other times it's like you already asked me everything and we just end. But, you know, is there anything that would stand out to you about Phantom from your experience before this call? Just out of curiosity. To be honest, like I didn't know too much about Phantom, but that's primarily because like I I have three kids and the last like five years have been pretty nuts between that and my work. You know, I mentioned in the early days when I first got into crypto, my, my daughter was only six months old and I still had some time to like do research and be like paying attention to what's going on outside of my day to day. And then as we added more children and more, more work, I just like my, I have not been able to consume the same amount of volume of information. Like there's outside of really outside of like Solana and the work I've been doing in the NFT space at Olaplex, like I have not been able to keep track of many ecosystems. Like I followed a little bit of the Cosmos ecosystem, but that's because I have some investments in that space. I'm an investor in in a cash and uh, an advisor and investor in uh, region network. Those are both like Cosmos projects. I never actually like was a part of any team or in any way connected to Phantom before this call. So I had no idea about the earn program. And I thought like that was perhaps one of the more interesting things that I learned on this call about Phantom. I think that that's I, again, like I haven't really seen another chain do that. And I think it's a pretty great idea. It's almost like an affiliate marketing thing too, because, you know, it's like giving people commissions for driving volume and that's the way it should be. I mean, you could even think about some sort of affiliate fee from the transaction fee as well from recommendations. We're being quite experimental, uh, you know, with the, with the vault, the, the never any grant program with the own program, but it's good to try these ideas, especially where we are now and see what's working, you know, as fast as we can and then really drive it forward. We did cover, I think, most of everything today. It was great talking with you. For everybody listening, go check out Sam and Phantom. You can go to phantom.foundation to learn more about Phantom, check out their documentation, check out their different solutions, different wallets and all that stuff to get like familiarized with the the ecosystem. And, and it, this is definitely the first time I've heard of anybody doing the earn type model the way that they are. So it's worth taking a look at and really appreciate having you on the show and hopefully we'll have you again soon sometime. Yeah, hopefully again in, in maybe a year's time and we can kind of look back on, on the past year and, and see what's worked and what hasn't. See how many transactions you had, dude. You got to go crush. You got to go get some transactions. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I mean, I think quarter four is for Fender Virtual Machine. Uh, that's the plan for release by then, depending on how long all the validators take to upgrade. It's going to be very interesting to see how this incentive model plays out. And and at the end of the day, yeah, more transactions and, and guest the network is a good thing because it then feeds back into itself and, and creates a sustainable network, which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be a part of. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll check back in. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Alex. You just heard the Index Podcast with your host, Alex Kahaya. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a five-star rating and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every other Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.